Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And today we are going to uh, finish up our discussion, our month-long discussion of The Trial of a Time Lord with uh, the final two-part story, The Ultimate Foe, written by two different people. Three different people, really. Well... Two of which only got only two of which got produced. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, so that there's a lot of background significance to this one, and we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, I want to remind everybody that we're from the website geekshowentertainment.com. We like geeky stuff. Occasionally, we talk about that stuff, like Doctor Who, on podcasts like this one, because Geek Show Entertainment is a podcast network that has new episodes released every week for shows that include The Doctor's Companion. As well as Movie Night at Geek Show, Have You Met Ted, A Couple of Geeks, and Super Geeks. You can listen to those podcasts by streaming them on the website, subscribing to the shows on iTunes, and you can go to the website and join our community by commenting on episodes, articles, and audio blogs that we regularly post on the site. If you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, even if you don't, help us out by leaving an iTunes review. iTunes reviews are the best way for people to find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to. You can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, or suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. That's tdc as in the doctor's companion. Um, also, I want to I want to thank uh, the people that went out this past week and gave us reviews. Um, so thanks for that. Yes. Yeah. iTunes reviews. Yay. Woo. Yeah. Um, so uh, background and significance for the ultimate foe is the ultimate background and significance, I would say. <laughs> it, <laughs> it really is. It's like it's like this and the uh, and Unearthly Child are like the, the big ones for, <laughs> yeah. for how, how, how things go down. Um, so we've been talking about the trial of a time lord. Uh, we've been talking about it a lot. We've been talking about it for the past four weeks. Um, and as much as I enjoy it, I'm ready to move on to something else. Um, so uh, let's see. So when when trial got started, uh, Eric Sayward, Robert Holmes, and John Nathan Turner got together, and they all sat in a room and they said, "Okay, what are we going to do for this trial?" And they agreed that at the end of the st- at the end of the series, it should end on some breathtakingly dramatic cliffhanger of the Doctor in the Valley Yard, or maybe the Master, uh, spiraling off into some generic plot device, kind of in the vein <laughs> of, um, <laughs> in the vein of uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty falling at the end of, uh, at Reichenbach Falls in that one Sherlock Holmes story. Um, so they agreed to do that, 
And so everyone went off and did and did the writing. Eric Sayward did the script editing, um, and Robert Holmes wrote parts one through four. We all we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then when he finished parts one through four, Robert Holmes started to write um, episode thirteen of Trial of the Time Lord. But he started he was getting sicker and sicker. Um, I think according to Sayward, he had a hepatitis or something like that, and it was just getting to him. Um, so it was getting slower and slower on the work, and he finished episode 13, and he started outlining 14, but he got into a hospital. He was just kind of getting sicker and sicker, and he just kind of died, like passed away in the middle of uh, working on episode 14, the outline for it. So because that was one of the things that led Eric Sayward to kind of quit, besides hiring Bonnie Langford and hating Colin Baker and not liking the show. Um, Eric Sayward eventually just gave up on Jonathan Nathan Turner, uh, and, you know, just said, screw this, I'm gone, but, um, out of, out of service to Holmes, who he loved really, like, a lot, that was, like, a father figure, according to what people say, um, uh, Sayward went and wrote a draft of the episode 14 based on what he liked and Holmes's outline and what Nathan Turner and him had discussed, and um, it was getting really close to the wire. And then Nathan Turner, because he saw that the show, like ending the show on a downbeat was an excuse for the BBC to kind of end the show, uh, decided, <laughs> told, wrote a letter to Sayward and said, hey, I think we should change the ending and not do this downer cliffhanger doctor going into the pit with the Valiard up in the air ending and Sayward just kind of lost his mind couldn't believe that this was Nathan Turner meddling again and Nathan Turner wanted something slightly more fairy tale, and and Sayward wanted to be truthful to Holmes and wanted something that was more dramatic and more in the vein of like the grisly Doctor Who that he wanted to um so Sayward <laughs> took his draft of episode 14 and um uh took it copyrighted it and left uh and because the thing was based on a on a copyright by Robert Holmes and it was written by Sayward and Sayward had the copyright. Nathan Turner officially had absolutely no script <laughs> and they were going wheels up on this project in like a week. Like they were starting filming on episode 14 in like a week or something. So Nathan Turner called in his old standbys uh Pip and Jane Baker who <laughs> might not have been the best of writers, but could get a lot done in a very short amount of time. And he couldn't give them an outline. He couldn't tell them anything about what had been in the episode. He could only give them episode 13, say, these are the plot strands that, uh, and just like indicate what kind of plot strands they needed to do. Uh, but he couldn't give them an outline, couldn't give them any notes from any story meetings he had with Sayward or Holmes, uh, and gave them a list of sets that they were going to use that had already been constructed for episode 14, uh, and said, go write it. Uh, you have three days. <laughs> they just and and the and the and so Pip and Jane Baker went out. They wrote a script. They did it in three days, and they produced it. And um, I mean, if you've seen it, like if you now that you've seen it, I mean, I don't know all, how all they did this. All yeah, all things considered, uh, I mean, number one, this is their best episode they've ever written. Yeah, no, um, I agree. And but of course they didn't write the first half. So mm -hmm. they did They did have the benefit of having Robert Holmes write the first half. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, you know, I, but, you know, given what they had to work with, it's kind of astounding that they wrote this second half. As and that it holds together. 
yeah, yeah it, it holds up like it's it's incredible like I, when i wrote this on my blog i, I equated it to basically doing something like silence in the library can you imagine like moffat's writing silence in the library he finishes part one dies and then whoever takes over has nothing but a set list and (laughs) they have to write the next part like anything that they do that makes any sort of sense is going to like gets a lot of (laughs) make it helps i mean Mm -hmm. it's 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 incredible to me that it ends up working as well as it does it's not perfect (laughs) But all things considering that this episode was this close to not happening and they wrote this in three days, mad props. Yeah. Mad props. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's really the big background and significance. We'll talk about a lot more about behind the scenes stuff later uh, as I got to before we started recording. Um but uh, but this is it. This is where Nathan Turner uh, quits after this. He was like, I'm done with Doctor Who. Um, and then they dragged him back, right? <laughs> they dragged him back. Um, who Who is uh, who's script editor during the McCoy era? Uh, a guy named Andrew Cartmill. Okay. Yeah, C-A-R-T-M-E-L. He's a... Uh, uh, he has a very specific vision, and one I like, but um, I, I also have edit- issues with his script editing, uh, which we'll get into the more we talk about McCoy. Um, but yeah, Nathan Turner, after this, like went on a huge holiday after it aired, and came back in early January to discover that, oh, Doctor Who was still his, and he was wheel up wheels up on a new series in six months, and he didn't have a new Doctor, a new companion, any scripts, not a script editor, nothing. Um which leads to time in the Ronnie. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, this is like the end of, it's the end of, um, uh, Nathan Turner. And it's also the end for Colin Baker, which we'll discuss very heavily on the other side of the recap. Yeah. There's <laughs> going to be a lot to discuss. <laughs> um, so before we get started with the discussion of the episode, uh, I want to remind everybody that we're sponsored by InStockTrades.com. This month at InStockTrades.com, you can purchase our book of the month, American Vampire, Volume 1, by Scott Snyder, Stephen King, and Raphael Albuquerque. This book is available for only $15.49, which is 30% off the suggested retail price of $29.99. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. Uh, and that's at InStockTrades.com. Guys, if you are sick of if you if you used to like vampires and now you're sick of them because they're everywhere, um, and you want a breath of vampire fresh air, you need to read American Vampire <laughs> because uh, this book is phenomenal. So go read it and uh, get it from InStockTrades.com. <laughs> All right, so uh, going into part one, the first half of this is the Robert Holmes half. Um, uh, right off the bat, I, apparently, I, I guess it's just I guess it's just a Robert Holmes thing because right off the bat, I I have an eye roll when the doctor calls the valley yard the rail yard or whatever or the stack yard. Or, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, really, this again, really. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, so I'm I was a little bugged by. It. I was like, I thought we I thought we'd moved on from this. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, one of the things that I'm actually really curious in is uh, what did you think of episode 13? Because I, I mean, me personally, I think this is one of the best episodes of Doctor Who that's ever been made. Uh, um, certainly of the classic series. It is without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. It's, I, it is my, it is this, ep- and it's, 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 you know, it's coincidence that they both take, they both have trials in them. But this and uh, the War Games Part 10 
are the two best episodes of classic Doctor Who, in my opinion. Um, sure. And then, and then followed by, by what part? I guess part three of of caves. No, uh, four of caves. Four of caves. Part four of ca- yeah. Um, four well, of caves. I just I always remember that cliffhanger because it's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, you're probably right though. Four of caves. Is, four is an adrenaline rush. Like yeah. that is just it's a power. It's game. it's just it's hard to get over that cliffhanger once it happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, part four of caves is probably right below those two. Um, caves is still the best overall story. Yeah. But from an episodic standpoint, like this Ultimate Foe Part One, War Games Part Ten, and and Caves Part Four are probably my top three stories um, yeah. of classic. This, this is amazing. Oh, it's it it's is. it's amazing, and it and I had no idea the Master was going to show up. Mm-hmm. This and Planet of Fire are the two best Anthony Anley Master stories. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he's not over the top in this. He's just he's no. smug, which is perfect. Like that's that's when I like Anthony Anley's master is when he's smug but not over the top. Mm-hmm. That's when he's perfect, and in this he's perfect, mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 he's he's phenomenal in this. Uh, I think, and you know what? Like we'll we'll get to it later, but like. Oh god, the the cliffhanger ending that was that was supposed to be at the end of this. How awesome would it have been for like the beginning of the next season to be uh to be like the master and Mel teaming up to go save the doctor. That would have been rad. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, like I was just thinking about that reading the end of Sayward's script and I was like, "Oh my god, that would have been amazing." Um yeah. But uh, yeah, and I mean that's that's the thing that's that's the mo- that's the biggest irony of this whole thing is like, I understand Jonathan Turner's issue with the ending. Like I get yeah. it. Like mm-hmm. British television, they didn't end series on cliffhangers because right. in America, when you by the time you get to the season finale of a show, you know whether or not you're in most cases in ninety nine percent of all cases you know that you're coming back the next season or not mm-hmm. and at back that point. then for sure yeah right absolutely back then yeah so and you knew that it was going to be this three month period and then the show would be back in British television that's not the case so they were always afraid to end on cliffhangers because they don't know when they're pointing their audience to come back because that's why you do cliffhangers in American television. They're like, they're giving you a reason to come back next season Right in British television. It's always up in the air if you're getting another series or not. Mm-hmm. So I understand his, his, his issue with it. I do. Um, but the, he did it because he was like, I don't want to give the BBC a reason to have the show canceled. Um, meaning like, Oh, the doctor's dead. So we don't need to do any more shows. We're done. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> Adios, yeah. everyone. Um, and, and so like seeing it from that perspective, I'm like, okay, I get it. I do understand. But the, the thing that, that breaks my heart a little bit about not having that ending is if he had done that ending and everything else had happened exactly the way that it, it happened anyway. You know, they fired Colin Baker and everything. At least we wouldn't have had – like you could have had the Master and Mel go to find the Doctor and they find this other guy. They find Sylvester McCoy because he, he regenerated – 
due mm-hmm. to the accident at the end of the last se- and everything continuity would be fine everything would be great and we wouldn't have the stupid clown wig at the beginning of time and the ronnie or um, the or the he bumped his head at like revelation which is stupid yeah was, oh yeah he had a concussion and he regenerated from the concussion <laughs> it's a massive concussion <laughs> he had a concussion the and then fell asleep <laughs> um, which is, you're not supposed to do that. And that happened. And so he regenerated. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's stupid. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, like, if they had just done that ending and everything else would have fallen into place exactly as it had happened, you, and that, that's, that's the thing about this era of Doctor Who. There's so many instances of that. Mm-hmm. Of like, if this one, if they had just not made this one small mistake, all of the dominoes wouldn't have fallen. Yeah, um, and that that it's, it's just crazy to think about like all the possibilities that could have happened. Like, I was I was watching the the Colin Baker retrospective on the DVD, and uh, I was thinking the whole time I was like, you know, if I had access to a time machine, I would hire a a dialect coach, get a ridiculously perfect british accent go back to around 1981 get a job with the bbc and then when they're like hey jonathan nathan turner i'm forcing you to do this because there's no one else i'd be like i'm someone else (laughs) please (laughs) for the love of god please (laughs) let me fix this don't fire colin baker just give him good scripts oh yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, this is proof, man. This is proof when you give him something that's out there that he just goes for it. And oh yeah, talk about talk about legacy for Robert Holmes. I mean, like Robert Holmes, it's as strong as anything he ever wrote, in my opinion. Like yeah. I, it's way and, and better it's, than and, and, and the thing that's yeah, you're right. It is way better than Mysterious Planet. And the thing that's that's so great about it is it was almost like his answer to the Mysterious Planet, and everyone saying not your best work (laughs) yeah everyone says oh mysterious planet not your best work and he's like oh yeah (laughs) and then he wrote this and like everyone on the on on the behind the scenes thing is just like oh my god that first half oh my god yeah yeah and it's and it's true i mean like and in a way like when i when i first watched this i watched it with very little spoilers i mean i knew who the valiard was but very little spoilers beyond that and when they went into the matrix and it was like deadly assassin again i was like oh god yes this is what i'm talking about yeah because it just feels like the sequel to deadly assassin that holmes never wrote yeah and i just i love that i love that that's totally what this is Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. also can we can we because this is revealed very early on. Okay, so like basically the trial, we're in, we're at, we're at the trial when we come in, and um, you know the the uh, what what's her name? The Inquisitor, right? The Inquisitor, yeah, yeah. The Inquisitor is just like okay, well, uh, the prosecution's rest. Doctor, are you done with your defense? So I can make my uh, my my judgment or whatever. And and he's just like he he's, he's like calling the Valiard names, and he's like it's somebody's tampering with evidence, and you can't make a a judgment call based on the evidence that you've seen because the evidence you've seen is not the right evidence. Um, mm-hmm. It's not how I remember it. It's not what happened. And she's like, well, unless you have you have witnesses, like I can't do anything about that. So then the master shows up behind her on the matrix screen. And the master's like, oh, but I am, I am in the Matrix, and you can break into it and mess with things because I'm here and I have a copy of the key you said you couldn't make a copy of, and <laughs> <laughs> and he's all smug and awesome, and uh, and and then he's like, he like beams to uh, witnesses for the for the doctor's defense because in his opinion, he's like, 
He's like, you're right. I do hate the doctor, but I want to be the one to kill him. You can't. It's like the whole, <laughs> it's like the whole, um, you know, like I, I can, I can beat the crap out of my brother, but you can't. If you do, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, only evil. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, anyway, so the, the witnesses show up and I just love the fact that like the BBC hated Glitz, hated him as a character, thought he was ridiculous. So what does Robert Holmes do? do? Brings him back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like even better. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And like not only not only does it bring him back, but like spoilers for coming up, man. But like the doctor doesn't go off into the matrix with uh, Mel. He goes off with Glitz, and Glitz yeah. becomes like de facto companion. Yeah, Glitz is the <laughs> companion in this. Um, in the first half, in the second half, he's more of the master's companion. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in this half, he's the doctor's companion. So anyway, uh, the you know they they show up and like uh, he should. There's these two like coffin pods that get teleported into the into the space station. And, uh, and like he comes out of one and then Mel comes out of the other and they go into the, into the trial. And then, you know, he's basically setting up the fact that the master's like, here's your witnesses, use them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically at this point, the master reveals that he knows the Valyard and that he's not the Valyard. He's actually the doctor in this mm-hmm. weird era between his 12th and 13th lives where mm-hmm. it's like all of the bad stuff. So like, I mean, I guess what they're, I mean, they don't really go into exactly what that means, but basically what they're saying is like at some point between his regeneration from his 12th to 13th life, he like removed all of the evil inside of him and made a separate being so that yeah. his 13th life would be peaceful and happy without any evil mm-hmm. um, and just be all good. Um, and so, like, the Valyard is what was left over. Uh, yeah. And the Valyard wants to kill the Doctor because by killing the Doctor – and this is this is breaking every Back to the Future rule in the handbook. But <laughs> by killing the Doctor, he is going to regain his regenerations from, from the Doctor. But then how does he regenerate into – I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works out. Um, and and I yeah I just don't know I'm not it's, sure it, it's it's it, you can't think about it like yeah it's one of the things you can't think about <laughs> yeah so so anyway but at this point you find out that the Valyard is the Doctor in a future in between incarnation or a future alternate incarnation or something like that um, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder is the Valyard the Dream Lord. That's that's one of the questions that people have said when when uh, Amy's choice happened. Um, a lot of people were like, "Well, it's possible that the Dream Lord is the Valyard, or that it's possible that that's going to be something that they touch upon later." So help um, me God, if they bring that back, I would be like, "All right, yeah, yeah." Be <laughs> I'd be awesome. like, "All right," <laughs> and like if you watch Amy's choice again, like it's almost like Toby Haynes. I, I think no, not Toby Haynes. Uh, whoever whoever wrote that episode. Um, uh, it's almost like he's channeling the Valyard. It's 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 uncanny. It's yeah, really uncanny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> like just thinking about that, like I, I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, a mind twist. It's a total twist, and it's a it's a great thing. I think um, the guy I watched the I watched the behind the scenes, and the guy you hate, Clayton Hickman, the bald guy. Uh, um, I hate that guy. <laughs> he god. said he said they do kind of cop out by not making it the Doctor. Um, in in his thirteenth incarnation, and I think that he's he's right at a certain point. Like he's certain right, level, but he's but right. he's he's right to at a certain like as far as stakes are concerned. But then he's wrong because 
then eventually they have to call upon that and then they've written themselves into a corner. Right. Which is not Definitely. cool. So <laughs> you don't want to write yourself into a corner unless you know a plan to get out of it. And nobody during this era of Doctor Who knew how to write themselves out of corners. So they just didn't do it. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's no, true. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, um, I mean, like, how many different ages has the doctor said he is? Like, it's – I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they're just – they're not good at handling that kind of continuity in the show. They just – they write the episode and that's that's it. That's, that's, yeah. that's the yeah. way this television series was written. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's right to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, it's not like they had a plan beyond – the Valyard is an evil dot. Is an evil version of the dot. That's it. That's all they had. Like, right, right. They had no continuity about it. They were just like, oh, wouldn't this be a cool reveal? Um, and that's just that's how TV was written back then. Not a big deal. Right. Uh, so anyway, and I hate that guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, is it just me or every time he shows up, it feels like you're you're watching I Love the Eighties or something. I, like, I I could see that. I, I see feel that. like he's, he's on a different show. Like yeah, he's channeling he's channeling a completely different energy than someone like Sayward who's mumbling the whole time. It's, uh-huh. it's, or Colin Baker who's being incredibly conversational. Like he has that yeah. wacky. Oh my God, Courtney Love is on Coke again or something. That that you know. Yeah, totally. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Best week ever or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, so, so, so the Valyard freaks out at this point, at this revelation, he's just like, I, I gotta get out of here because I'm not gonna, my, my plans are not gonna go, are not gonna go, I'm not gonna come to fruition if I don't get out of here. And he sneaks behind the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) That's my favorite thing. No one sees him go. It's like my favorite thing. Yeah. So he runs off into the matrix to escape. Um, and, and so, uh, the doctor follows him. Right. Uh, and and you know much to the uh, chagrin of everyone, <laughs> nope, nobody wants him to be going. Uh, at least at least not Mel. Um, but anyway, the doctor takes. I don't I don't even know. Like I I think this was a sexist moment. I'm not sure. But like <laughs> the doctor is just like, no, Mel, you stay. Glitz, come on. <laughs> and takes Glitz into the in in into the uh, the Matrix with him. Um, also, I. Does this happen in the second part of this part where the the keeper keeps tripping Mel? Oh, it's this part. It, no, no, it's the second part. Okay. Yeah, oh, it's the second oh, part. part? Because that was yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, ugh, I'm going to trip you. And then he tries it again. <laughs> that killed me. That killed me. Yeah, it was, it was um, pretty. It's a good So moment. anyway, so they, they, they end up in the Matrix and it, it even though uh, – they go in together. They they come out. They come out into the matrix separately. And uh, the doctor shows up first, and he's in like this back alley area, um, and it's an amazing like back lot or location, location. or whatever. It's a location. Okay, yeah. it's an amazing location. It's phenomenal. There's so much character in this location. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the doctor shows up. He's looking for glitz, and then he he checks a barrel. <laughs> glitz and these hands come out and almost drown him um and you see him getting drowned and he's calling out for glitz to save him and then glitz shows up in the matrix and then comes over to save him but uh he's already saved himself i guess because he's on the ground um and he's he's okay uh and then and then he's like i love that moment where he's like he's like yeah i was almost attacked and and he's like uh can you get me some water and like 
Glitz goes over to get him water out of the barrel and dips his hands in and then it's, it's going to drink some of the water first. And then he's just like, I can't believe that thing was in the barrel. And he just drops the water. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great I love moment. that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, like, what what happens at that point? I can't, I can't, uh, I remember up to that, and then there's a, there's a revelation that the Valleyard is in this place called the Fantasy Factory, which again, oh my right. god, I love. There's a place I in the Matrix that. called the Fantasy Factory. Like Robert Holmes killed it <laughs> with that. I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, Glitz gets a neon lights, the, yeah, and it's carnival music. It's it's so nightmarish, and that was the thing that struck me the first he, time I watched it. It's 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 like watching a nightmare on screen in the way that yeah. watching Deadly Assassin episode three is watching a nightmare on screen. It just it captures the vibe, and it's so Victorian horror. There's a cat there, and it, the Fantasy Factory and Popple Wake as we'll discuss in a minute. Like it's just it's so so perfect. I, I so and perfect. and it's so perfect for Colin Baker because he's dressed like a clown. The carnival mm-hmm. music and and the Fantasy Factory, like all of that, fits so ingeniously. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a marriage of perfection, in mm-hmm. my opinion. It's mm-hmm. it's so so good. This is what Colin Baker should have been doing this whole time. Yep. Yep, and and like if you if you like in the in the behind the scenes, Colin Baker's like I love these two episodes more than any other episodes I did, mm-hmm. and it shows. At and least, and, and yeah, and it does. It, but and you know what? At the end of the day, if he went out, if he had to go out, at least he went out at his very best. Yeah, definitely blaze of glory as <clears throat> this was. Um, right, exactly. Especially with that hand in the barrel, which made me jump the first time. I was like, oh, geez. Yeah, that's really crazy. Um, There's a well, lot of random arms in this. Yeah, well, <laughs> which is cool. Like nothing's creepier than that sort of arm thing that they have going on. Like it's very yeah. chilling sort of thing. Um, <laughs> the Glitz gets a harpoon to the chest, which is funny. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I completely forgot about oh, it. I, 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 I remember because it was like, <laughs> whoa, did they just kill him? <laughs> And, but Glitz is Glitz is okay because he's wearing a um, he's wearing a, a suit. Um, right. Uh, but but we we also cut back to um, the uh, to the trial where the master talks about um, talks to the inquisitor about what's going been going on and and how uh, the high council was hit, basically set up the doctor with this fake trial and was going to make him take the fall for all these problems because it turns out like um, I don't know if you mentioned this but um, in the in the first four episodes there was the revelation that something had happened and Glitz and Dibber were on Ravelock slash Earth for two um to steal some information and it turns out that the time lords were responsible for um for the the burning of Ravelox and Earth. So like the Time Lords are responsible for moving the the planet and killing all the life on it and and someone had hacked into the matrix and this is all basically a giant Time Lord cover up. So like all that stuff like comes full circle and it's it's a really nice sort of closure thing. Um but we also find out that <laughs> the master out of nowhere, just basically reveals that, oh, by the way, but Perry's fine. She's a warrior queen to that one guy, um, which I hate. I just, I can't. Wait, the, I can't. the master, the master did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says it in episode, he says it in episode one. He's just like, oh, by the way, this happened. Like, it's, it's, to a, who? Throw, it's a throwaway line. And I'm just like, that's the to cheapest who? thing. To, to the Inquisitor. He's on the screen. Oh, it. oh, okay. Yeah. It happens like, in part one. I, I forgot. I remember the Inquisitor telling the Doctor that in part two. 
Um, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember that's, the master doing yeah. it. It's because the master said that um, in in part one. Um, but it's like it's like it's completely nothing really happens in the trial. It's all about the Matrix for the rest of the sto- for the rest of the episode. But um, the Doctor and Glitz enter the factory fantasy factory. They meet this bureaucrat named Mister Popplewick, who is every Robert Holmes bureaucrat who's ever lived. Um, because Robert Holmes hated bureaucracy, like just hated it. So there's all these discussion of forms and paperwork to fill out before you can go into the next room, and it's all just like order and stages. And I, oh god, right up my alley. And Popplewick, um, it's just kind of a dick. Um, but the the doctor and Glitz get fed up, so they go into the next room. They find another Popplewick, and it turns out that the whole fantasy factory is just pop populated with Popplewicks. That should be a Dickens novel. Um, and uh, Popplewick says, well, I guess if you want to go ahead, all you have to do is just sign away your remaining lives to the proprietor of the Fantasy Factory, whose name is J.J. Chambers. Um, and if you die in the Fantasy Factory, J.J. Chambers gets all your lives. And the doctor's like, sure, I'll do that. And then Popplewick's like, go to the waiting room. And the doctor opens the door to the waiting room and finds himself on this beach. And he no sooner has he found himself on the beach than hands start crawling out of the sand and start pulling him down, and we which is a this. phenomenal effect. Yeah, it's I I love that feel. It just it does not look real. It I mean it looks real, but like in the way that I don't know how they. I mean I know how they did it, but it's so it's so effective as an mm-hmm. image, and it's and the way chilling. they do it is ph- phenomenal. Like yeah yeah. There's it's, there's a tank of water, and mm-hmm. there's a rubber sheet over the tank of water, and the actors that are playing the arms are are in the tank under the rubber sheet and their arms are poking through and then there's mm-hmm. dirt over the the rubber sheet so then when they pull the doctor down he's getting pulled down into the water with the rubber sheet and the dirt is being on top so it looks like he's going into quicksand and it's mm-hmm. perfect it's genius. it's an amazing it's an amazing cliffhanger like not only has this part been such a such a roller coaster but ending on that image if that's the last thing that Robert Holmes ever wrote like he went out on a, like a pitch perfect sort of note, like nothing else sums up Robert Ohms better than disembodied hands pulling the doctor into quicksand, um, mm-hmm. and the doctor screaming. It's excellent and perfect, and I can't say enough good things about part one because it's it's everything I could ever want out of a Doctor Who episode. Uh, yep. So, except for the that. retcon that you don't like, I hate that retcon. Um, I mean, it's uh, I'll talk about Perry later. Um. Anyways, that's part one. Part two, everything from here on out is all Pip and Jane land, where they just basically made up a bunch of crazy nonsense. Um, <laughs> the Doctor sinks into the quagmire, Glitch shows up, the Doctor turns out he can manipulate the Matrix, which I guess that makes sense. Um, then the Valiard... Well, he's the one, so... Yeah, well, right, right, right. He's, <laughs> he's the Valiard, so he can mess with the Matrix as well, but he's not as smart as the Valiard. And that's what makes the Valiard really cool, is, like, you're dealing with a Doctor who is twice as old, and can is smarter than the doctor and can kind of outthink him which is amazing if only Um, if only he could warn himself about lake silencio (laughs) no he didn't need to do that um uh (laughs) i saw the episode he didn't need to do that um so uh the valiard is um the valiard is messing with them which is a really great sort of effect michael jason again as the valiard like it's it's cool to see him in the, in the trial for three stories, but now you just see him just messing around, and he is so good when you just let him loose. Um, 
he's like messing with the doctor he's bouncing around through time and space and just like you know talking to the doctor and they're throwing insults and posturing and stuff and the doc and the valley are disappears and there's this evil fog and glitz and the doctor like run away from the evil fog and they land in a house which turns out to be the master's tardis and the master says he wants the valley are dead because the doctor's the lesser two evils the master can at least defeat the doctor not the valley um <laughs> and so the master uses this opportunity to wipe the doctor's brain, turn him into a zombie, um, just so that he can do whatever he wants with him. And uh, so the master zombie, goes out- zombie like a human doll, not zombie like yeah. the living dead eating flesh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like an active in Dollhouse. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, except without talking. Um, so the master brings the doctor back to the front of the fantasy factory and the Valleyard shows up to see that the doctor's there kind of waiting for him all silent, not moving. And when the Valleyard shows up, the master like tries to zap him with his, with his laser gun and the Valleyard just throws exploding quills at him, which is so funny and cool. And and then they, and then they both, we get a scene of them like dodging exploding quills at this point. (laughs) Like and explosions going off everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Um, it's oh god, glitz and the master running and 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 dodging exploding quills while the doctor just stands there. <laughs> Why the Valiard doesn't just kill the doctor right then and there? I don't understand. Um, but we're not questioning it. Um, so Mel calls out to the doctor. The doctor kind of awakens and goes back into the trial room, and they show vervoids again. Why I don't know. Um, and they basically say, so the doctor, you're on, doctor, you're on trial for genocide. And he's like, yep. And, and Mel is now a test. She testifies and says that the doctor did this and he did commit genocide against the, against the vervoids. And the inquisitor is like, well, that's it, doctor, you're going to be executed. <laughs> and, and the doctor gets hauled off. But then we realize that this is matrix within the matrix and it's not, um, and it's not actually a trial at all. It's just a matrix projection and, and Mel is like, oh god, no, this is we can't we have to stop them. So she runs, she jacks the keeper in the face, which I loved, um, and then runs off into the matrix, and the doctor's carted away um by guards off to the fantasy factory to go get killed and the Valleyard can get his lives. And <laughs> he quotes Dickens. Um, and I only mention this because uh Pip and Jane, I mean, for all their goodness, they they just can't not be on the nose. Um like he just quotes Tale of Two Cities. Well, um, he quotes he quotes Dickens here and earlier. Didn't he quote Hamlet? Uh, sure, but like, but like when when we're dealing with the stuff that's in the Matrix, that's not Hamlet. So mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it, it's it's only because it's like you don't need to tell us that this is a Dickensian setting. We get it. You don't need to hammer us over the head with the Dickens. Oh, that's my okay, that's, that's my real problem with it. Um. <clears throat> oh, and the Hamlet thing was a Pip and Jane thing on the beach. Um. Now that I think about it, uh, with between the doctor and the Valleyard. Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. That's I'm just saying oh, they, right. they like he quoted two liter literary things. He like made right. two literary references in one episode, which was odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> especially going from Shakespeare to Dickens. Um, but Mel comes to the rescue, yells at the doctor, says, "says this isn't real." And the doctor, the projection ends, and the doctor's like, "Damn it! This was my plan to get close to the Valleyard and the Fantasy Factory." Um, and but then they're like you know what let's just go into the fantasy factory anyways um which they do and i mean like the problem is like once you start looking at this episode it doesn't make a lot of sense it's a lot of running around and trying to make things make sense um but yeah um so the master manages to convince glitz to go into the fantasy factory to take out the valley art and steal the matrix secrets um and 
Glitz does, he takes Popplewick hostage, and the Doctor discovers, while he's poking around with Mel, a list of names uh, in his handwriting that are all the Time Lords who are attending the trial, and they're all crossed out. Um, what this means, we don't know yet. Um, but Popplewick, uh, Popplewick and Glitz meet up with the Doctor and Mel. It's, again... A lot of running around. Uh, Popplewick and, and Glitz meet up with the Doctor and Mel, and they take him to the Valley Yard. But this is a Glitz trick. He just wants the the master, the Matrix's master tapes, while he delivers the Doctor to the Valley Yard. And um, uh, I I don't. And then uh, so Glitz gets away with the master tapes, I guess. Um, meanwhile, the Doctor and Mel arrive in this room. No, he start is... he starts to get away with the master tapes, and then the master shows up, and he's like, uh, no. <laughs> and then the master tapes backfire and slow everyone down to a crawl and in, turn the them into black stories. and white, which is actually kind of a cool effect. Like the wavy yeah. fade into black and white. I dug that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a, it's a really cool thing. And that all happens in the master Tardis. So the master and glitz have been removed from the events that are going on. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the doctor arrives in a room with some gadgets and the doctor demands to see Mr. Chambers. Now that they're with Mr. Now that they're with Mr. Popplewick, <laughs> But then the doctor's just like, never mind, you are the Valiard. <laughs> just, like, rips off the mask. And then the Valiard says, and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about accurate. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's such a, he's such a, oh, curses foiled again sort of moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So Mel reveals that the Valyard's plan is to explode the screen in the trial room, killing all of the Time Lords in the room and causing sedition everywhere, which makes sense. Also, the Keeper reveals to the Inquisitor that the High Council has been recomposed in has been deposed, and there's an insurrection on Gallifrey led by the Master, who's in control of the Matrix. Um, I don't know. There's a lot going on that isn't really relevant. Um. We also get an example of great dialogue from Pip and Jane Baker. I just wrote this down because I thought it was such a ridiculous line. But this is an example of the line that they would write. It's, um, you are elevating... This is from the Valley Art, I think. You are elevating futility to a high art. There's nothing you can do to prevent the catharsis of spurious morality. Like, oh my god. Oh god. What what does that even mean? Um, <laughs> It means that Pip and Jane Baker love their thesaurus. They really do. Um... <laughs> Wait until time of the not time of the Ronnie, Mark of the Ronnie. Um, so Mel uh, makes it to the trial room because the doctor sent her off to go protect everyone, and um, and she's like, yeah, "Everyone, get out, get out, get out! The screen's gonna explode!" And the doctor, meanwhile, attempts to turn off the the screen, the machine, and manages to flick a switch just before the screen explodes. And then the doctor something something. The timelines have been saved. Um, power's diverted to the machine thingy, so it'll explode. These are my notes. I'm just reading verbatim right now. Uh, but the doctor runs to escape from the Matrix, which explodes or something, while the Valiard's still inside, trying to turn off the thing. Explosion or something, something, something. And then the doctor arrives in the courtroom. And we get a fairy tale ending where the do- where the Inquisitor says, All charges have been dropped. Perry has been married to a Karnas. And the doctor's like, Hmm, that's weird. And then they walk off to the TARDIS. Um, and Mel's like, we're going to get you exercising again with carrot juice. Colin Baker goes out saying carrot juice, carrot juice, carrot juice. And then the Inquisitor leaves. And as she's leaving, it turns out that the Keeper of the, Va- Keeper of the Matrix is now the Valley Yard. What? Ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Keeper turns around and it's the Valley Yard and he laughs. And that's how the episode ends. <laughs> it's a weird ending. Um, whew, so that's Trial of a Time Lord. I got a little excited there towards the end because doesn't quite make all of the sense in the world, but it still works a lot better than it probably should. Um, so yeah, that's, 
the ultimate foe. Lots of explosions happening for no reason, and people saying, "Get out! Get out! It's not safe." Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's the trial. Um, there is the trial, and it uh, ended. And before before we start talking about uh, a lot of thoughts that we have. <laughs> Um, I want to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you order all all of your monthly comic book statues, action figures, basically anything you get at your local comic book shop, you can get from DCBService.com. You place your orders uh, three months in advance. And you get monthly discount specials, uh, sometimes up to 75% off, and regular discounts of everything for 40% off. Plus, if you pre-order your collected editions, uh, you get those for 50% off. So you ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like, and you only pay $5.95 in flat rate shipping um, for U.S. orders. Uh, if you're international, they also do that, but they don't do flat shipping. Uh, so uh, anyway, but thanks to DCBService.com, and uh, go there and order your comic books. Woo. Woo. All right. So, um, I like, this is my favorite, this is my favorite story of, of the Colin Baker of Colin Baker. Yeah. And, and of trial. Um, yeah. And I, uh, it just, oh God, it hurts (laughs) knowing that he didn't come back after this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That really sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crushing. Yeah, and it's a huge bummer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I see what you mean. I thought it was my favorite, and then I, I've I've watched part fourteen about two times since then, and it uh, it doesn't really quite hold up. Um, but, but I mean, what's the first better? Time, <laughs> uh, I'm I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I really love Mysterious Planet. I really really love Mysterious Planet a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, Mysterious Planet isn't as good as this for me. Well, I mean, if it was just episode 13, hands down, but 14's a little too batty for me. It's a lot of ambling, running around, and getting a little distracted. Very mm-hmm. ADD. Um, well, let's let's talk about alternate episode 14 then. Um, sure. The sure. Robert Say- the, 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 the Sayward draft, Eric Sayward draft. Yes. Um, Which you can find online. It's a PDF. Um, mm-hmm. It looks like it's been transcribed, so it's not like completely formatted properly, but it's... It's accurate enough that I consider it to be what this would have looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure if I like this. I mean, I think this is this draft is a little better than the original episode 14, but it's well, not the, perfect. The problem with it is that Eric Sayward wrote it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's, here's the issue, okay? The plot makes sense. Because yes. that's what he had. He had an outline from Robert Holmes before he died. He finished an outline of episode 14. And Eric Sayward used that outline to write his version of episode 14. So it's all plot and not really a whole lot of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the problem. It's like he was writing episode 14 but not without really understanding episode 14 from right. a character standpoint. And so you get kind of a bland episode. Agreed. Where Agreed. the plot makes all kinds of sense, mm-hmm. but that's all it's got is plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would agree with that. Um, it doesn't have like the like the heart that episode thirteen does. Like thirteen is written with a lot of passion and verve, um, but fourteen just as Sayward wrote it, it's it's lacking. Mm-hmm. That it's very it's very mechanical. Um, very uh, especially the part where um. 
uh, the Doctor and, Mel, and uh, Hallucination Mel are walking in a circle. Like, it's very um, that. Although, uh, listening to what Sayward had to say, that's uh, that was uh, Mel's audition piece. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what it is. Like, and then he put like, it into the episode. Yeah. Which yeah. is weird. Shortcuts. I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, and also, I can't... I. Here's the thing, like Eric Sayward, I I respect the guy for sticking with with his convictions, but he was an idiot, um, <laughs> because he said, I mean, he literally said this on the on the Colin Baker retrospective. He said um, Colin Baker was not a good doctor, uh, and and he said that he said uh, that Patrick Troughton was a great doctor. Tom Baker was obviously a great doctor. Peter Davison was not good, but he did he did okay because he was a good actor. So he made up for not being a good doctor by being a good actor. Um, mm-hmm. And then said that Colin Baker was just not he wasn't a, he was not the doctor, and he was mm-hmm. he was he was not a good actor. He was, and that he was never he never should have been a leading man in anything. Um, least of all a show that had been on since the sixties, <laughs> and. That's awful because yeah. that, that guy's here. Here's the, here's the problem. Okay. And this is, this is a problem with this, this, the, the classic era of Dr. Who, in my opinion. Yeah. Nowadays, the way that TV works is you have the producer showrunner, like head writer. That's all one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Russell T Davies who had a thumbprint of, you know, four and a half seasons and now you have Stephen Moffat, who very much has his thumbprint, you know. And it's yes, it's for better or worse, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't particularly care for what Stephen Moffat is doing, but mm-hmm. it's his, and you can't blame anyone but him, right? Which is good. And, that's a good mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, and television since since Dave, like around the time <laughs> the Davies took over, people started to realize that television was a writer's medium, not a producer's medium. Um, mm-hmm. As it probably had been back in the day. I mean, writing right. definitely is always important. But um, back in the day, like it, it, listening to it, it was always there was a lot of talk on it about because I watched some of the retrospective as well. Um, there was a lot of things about how you know Nathan Turner ruled, like he was the guy who was in charge, and Sayward that was his boss, and they weren't. I mean, they were partners, but at the end of the day, Nathan Turner would always win. And um, I mean, if Sayward had been a showrunner, it probably would have been something I've been I would have been interested in. I mean, I just I don't really like his stories as much. I mean, they're thrilling, they're exciting and action adventure, but they lack character. Um, minus Revelation, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's just things have changed, and Sayward should not have been writing for Doctor Who at this time. Like he just should not have done it. Um, well, and the and the problem too is like. It's one thing, like, okay, the reason why that type of thing worked before this mess um, was that you had partners. You had uh, 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 H- Hitchcliffe, and, Hitchcliffe and Holmes, you know? Yeah. You had, what was the other big one, the other pair? Uh, uh, Williams and Douglas Adams. Yeah. Um, Williams, Douglas Adams, or uh, uh, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix. Right. Um yeah. So you had you had very specific pairings, and you had these two people that had they they knew how to do their personal jobs, and they worked mm-hmm. together to make the show the best it could be. 
Whereas John Ethan Turner and Eric Sayward did not see eye to eye at all on anything ever. Mm-hmm. And so they were both working on two very different shows. And so you got this mess mm-hmm. and it worked for a little while because I, you know, even though, even though the Davison era can be a mess at certain parts, it's also insanely good at other parts. Um, yeah. So it worked for a little while, but they probably both should have left the show at the end of that era. Right. It's also like an issue where um, if you watch it, like it's almost like Nathan Turner at at his start is very developing into who he would be later. Like eventually he's just kind of wishy-washy. Like I don't even think Nathan Turner's influence on the seventh Doctor's era is felt. Like it's very much more Cartmel than it is Nathan Turner. Uh And Nathan Turner, much like... You know, I mean, I say it a lot, but, like, Davies gets Daviesier as Davies goes on. And Moffat's only getting Moffatier as Moffat goes on. Mm-hmm. Nathan Turner and Sayward were both getting more and more themish, And as a result, um, it just... It, it tore it, the it show ca- apart. It really Creatively. did. Creatively. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and if you look, like, that's why Attack... Like, and where they were crossing over was making things more violent and more bombastic and not focusing on characters or a specific theme or tone. And it just made a huge mess all over the place. Um, to the point where, you know, I mean, I, did, I, I don't know if you read it, but I sent you over Twitter the um, the Eric Sayward Starburst interview, mm-hmm. which I I mean, I don't know. I, did you read it? Yeah. It's, 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 it's damning. Yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty hardcore. I've never seen such behavior coming from like a creative person to another creative person minus charlie sheen like it's i mean like it also that. it killed his career that interview. it did he hasn't worked on anything no i mean he's done radio but um i mean you i mean you can look at him on imdb he is nowhere to be found mm-hmm. nowhere and no one will work with him um and it's i mean i think that he does have some good writing um i think that Earthshock. Earthshock is also a product of the direction. Like, the direction saves you from realizing how much of a mess Earthshock is. But, um, you know, it really, it, it killed his career. And these two people just tore each other apart to the to the effect where, like, when Nathan Turner comes back for Seventh Doctor, like, you can tell he's very much more hands-off. He's very much more just kind of coasting the show into an easy landing. Um, and he's not as all over the place with the fan reaction and and all these things that were sins that he kind of committed. Um, and it's just a bummer because, um, and they say it on the DVD special, Colin Baker was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, he should not, like, I mean, I don't fault Nathan Turner for, for hiring Colin Baker because I love Colin Baker, but Eric Sayward should not have been script editor. If you don't like, if you don't like the main guy, don't work with him. Yeah. Just... Don't don't do it. I mean, it worked with. I mean, look at Two and a Half Men. Like that show almost fell completely apart um, mm-hmm. because of Chuck Lorre and Charlie Sheen. Um, and, and, and and the thing is that kills me is like, okay, if you aren't willing to write his version of like that's the thing is like I I feel like all right, not not everybody can be the Doctor, but I feel like there are a lot of actors who can play the Doctor, but it's always going to be their version of the Doctor. Right. And if you're not willing to write their version of the Doctor, then what are you doing? Like, yeah. Why, like, it's not that Colin Baker's bad. It's that you are throwing a little, you're, you're throwing a fit. And you're just like, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to write that Doctor, so I'm going to write my Doctor. And yeah, if he can't do it, that makes him a bad actor. No, that's not how it works. 
it's really passive aggressive. I mean, I mean, Cassandra this week reviewed Time Lash on the blog, and she pointed out something that I'd forgotten, which is much like um, when we talked about Vengeance on Veros, like the the Doctor and Perry don't enter the story until twenty five minutes into the forty first forty five minute episode, and at that point, you're literally writing the Doctor out of the first episode of a story, and that's bad. Um, yep, that's not something you should be doing. And Sayward, when Sayward wrote Revelation of the Daleks, um, which was Colin Baker's second story. Uh, Colin Baker, or not Colin Baker, the Doctor and Perry don't enter that story until episode two. And episode one is 45 minutes long. Um, literally, the entire first part is just them walking around the countryside for 45 minutes bickering. And that's bad. Um, you shouldn't, like, that's just that's just not what the show should be. Um, and that's not where you should be focusing. And that's just, that's really bad. Like, Sayward should have known better than to write this at this mm-hmm. time it's just it's just it's really unprofessional it's really really unprofessional yeah um and then to slam colin baker like that is unfortunate and like you can tell like to this day colin baker is still smarting from not only sayward's comments but everything that happened to him like he's still crushed about it yeah i mean he's he's made up he's made peace with it like he's definitely like this is a thing that happened um, I have to move on. I can't dwell in it for the rest of my life, but you can still sell, tell that it smarts and he's still hurting. And that crushes me even more because he was such a good doctor. He was such a good doctor. It was just his era was so... He still is a good doctor. He's a great doctor. Like, yeah. you've listened to his stories. Oh my he's, God, his big finish stuff is amazing. It's 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 hands down some of the best Doctor Who I've ever heard in my life. Oh, like, yeah. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. He's phenomenal. No one plays... No one plays evil like he does. Like um, the Sandman is just incredible. Oh yeah, it's, it's 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 brilliant. And he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I have to give him props for coming in at the end of his season and saying, "Look, if you're gonna fire me, I want one more season. Write me out at the end of that season, and I'll be okay with it." Yeah, but like he time. even did that. Like, and that's the <clears throat> thing is he like he was contracted for 3 years and BBC found a loophole in that contract by saying, "Well, you did play the doctor for 3 years. Yes, 18 months of it you weren't doing anything, <laughs> but you were technically the doctor in the public eye." Yeah. So you you spent 3 years being the doctor. Um whether or not you got 3 series out of it, that's not our problem. And that's that's how they wrote out his contract, which total BS. Total BS. He came to them and said, like, he had he had come to the conclusion, like, when he got this role and loved it so much, and he wanted to be the doctor, he wanted to beat Tom Baker's record of seven years. Mm -hmm. That's what that was his goal. And he got two. Yeah. Shortest run of any doctor who's ever lived minus McGann. Ugh. And McGann, like for that matter, like McGann doesn't even count because McGann was like a pilot. Yeah, um, and it's 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 deplorable. And like everything was stacked against him. He had a crap costume, which I like. I mean, I'll I'll freely admit I enjoy the costume for what it is. But I would enjoy the costume more if the stories were different. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, there's been tons of other alternate costumes that he's been given, like the the blue costume. If you look online, you can find the blue costume, which is basically the one that he has only with – it's stark blue and it's gorgeous. Yeah, um, it's it's the same costume. It's just that like all, all of the different like patterns and things, they're all different shades of blue instead mm-hmm. of like a rainbow of colors. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's the one that he has when he's traveling with Charlie in the audios. Like he has the mm-hmm. blue costume for those, and it's and it's good. But he had he had a, he had a bad costume that people just rejected without even you know looking at his doctor. Um, he uh, he had really bad scripts. Eric Sayward at the time was c- convinced that writing companions as bickering companions was character development, and so that's why he argues with Perry nonstop. Um, the biggest with- mistake they ever made. Mm-hmm. Was having, uh, having his first episode be the series finale, mm-hmm. of of Peter Davison's last series. Yeah, and and, and they be- they end it with they end it with the twin dilemma in which you know the Doctor is an asshole. Like yeah, he's meant to. The whole purpose, the whole point, the arc of his character was that he was going to start off as a horrible person and then eventually grow to be a character that everyone would love and then would be heartbroken when he finally regenerated that was what he wanted that's what that's what that's what i think john nathan turner wanted that's definitely what baker wanted that was Mm -hmm. the arc that's that's what he wanted to do with his character but you can't start with him at his absolute worst introduce the doctor with him at his absolute worst then take six, nine months off, sorry, nine months off, and then start a new season with the new Doctor that everyone already hates and has hated for nine months at this point. Mm-hmm. And to start on a story as weak as The Twin Dilemma. Yeah. Because The Twin Dilemma, like, you can't – like, you can, you can say that you love it, and I know that there are people out there who love The Twin Dilemma, but you can't say it's strong. Like, you can't say that it's one of the best stories ever produced. It is a mess. It's not good. It's weak. And people – I mean, people hated that story. I mean, I'm not a fan of that story. I mean, but but, I think but that's Colin the thing, though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, the story sucks, but if the Doctor's good, you can look beyond that. Mm-hmm. And he is good, especially if you look at what he's doing in the Twin Dilemma. Like, oh, totally. I still think absolutely. He's amazing. But it's yeah. always he's good in retrospect. If you were watching that, mm-hmm. having no idea where the story was going, I could understand people who hated him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to go from and to end know, there, like to end there and take nine months off at the end of the Twin Dilemma, where he's where his last line to the audience is, "Like it or not, I'm the Doctor." <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a bad move. It's a bad move. And like and like that's a bad place to end and to come after Caves of Androzani where the doctor is literally at his 100% most heroic he's ever mm-hmm. been ever. Like ever ever ever. Yeah. Like everyone says that's his most heroic. I agree. It's amazingly heroic. And then to to go and do the backlash. And I approve of the backlash. The backlash is perfect like it's exactly what it needs to be um because every doctor is the opposite of what came before Mm -hmm. um best best move they made um but damn it that's so awful like it's such a it's a bad move to do that and then to jump to the 45 minute format where no one knows how to write it to do those stories which are all weak Mm -hmm. um i mean even robert holmes is the two doctors is all over the place Mm -hmm. um and it's because robert holmes never wrote in that context before yeah, never wrote in that context, and it was a six-parter, um, which is so long. It's a um, six-part, forty-five-minute parts. No, no, no. It's three. It's whenever I do, whenever I talk about that season, I always talk about it in terms of twenty-five-minute episodes. Oh, okay. So it's so it's, it's a so three-part, forty-five-minute. Yeah. Thing. Okay. All right. All right. But like those, it doesn't. It doesn't hold. It's. It's. It should be good. If it had been two parts, it would have been the best of that season. And the best of that season is um, arguably. 
Revelation of the Daleks, which, I mean, Colin Baker's not even in that story. I mm-hmm. mean, he is, but the Doctor's literally an afterthought in the whole story. And, like, that's that's awful. You have Attack of the Cybermen, which is a mess. Mark of the Rani, which is a mess. Vengeance on Veros, which, I mean, I know there's people who love it, but, I mean, it's... I, I can't... I can't watch it. Um, Time Lash, which is awful. Uh, and Mark of the Rani, which is a mess. Like, it's, it's such... It's such a bad season, and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. And then to go to trial, like, take him off for 18 months, and then to do the trial, which, I mean... Well, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I mean, the trial is not perfect. I mean, if they had done it today, it would have been so much stronger. But yeah. then it it has its own problems, which we'll get to. Like Colin Baker was just shafted, and it's unfair. It's so unfair, mm-hmm. and it's it breaks me. It just breaks me whenever I remember what happened to that guy because he did not deserve it at all. I know, so heartbreaking. It's it really is, and to hear him talk about it, it's just. Mm-hmm. Like he's he does a good job of holding it together. It's been twenty years, but he's still like he's still pretty shaken. Like it, it's like it's one of the worst experiences he's probably ever had. But one of the best too. Like listening to Nicola Bryant talk about him, like he just showed up on set and was just the greatest guy and all, like just there. And oh, it's so it's so hard to listen to. It's so hard to listen to, and it's not fair. Oh, he's just such a mess. Mm-hmm. The whole mm-hmm. his whole era is just such a mess. Mm-hmm. It's and like the only reason that era is good, like the only reason it's good, is because of him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'd be completely unwatchable. Like one hundred percent. Like th- talk about Tom Baker being awesome for all you want. Drop Tom Baker in those stories and see how well he does. Like, oh yeah, not good. Yeah, not good. Um, and it's so it's just so weird. Like like I, it's so weird because. John Nathan Turner, like he, he had the best intentions, and I can always understand his reasoning for all of the decisions that he made. Mm-hmm. I I always get it, but it's just like, oh man, you're just you're not doing it right. <laughs> well, it's also amazing because like the guy who did Earthshock, which has one of the darkest endings of any Doctor Who story ever, with the death of Adric also said, oh, by the way, we can't do a really dark ending to Trial of the Time Lord. And yeah. chickened out on Perry's death. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just like, that's... But again, know, like, you yeah, you're, you're right. But at the end of the day, it's like, you get why he made those decisions. Like, you understand Absolutely. it. It's mm-hmm. just not the right decision. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, it just shows you how far he fell from, like, the hungry producer who wanted to make the best Doctor Who ever. Um, right. Because that's how he came in. And you could tell, like, watching Davison's first season, I mean, it's not perfect that season. Uh, we're going to be talking about Kinda in a little bit, uh, in a couple weeks. But, um, I mean, I love Kinda. I, I really love Kinda. But, like, there's other stories that aren't super strong. Like, Black Orchid's okay. And Time Flight's awful. But you can tell that he's hungry. And he's desperate for writing some of the best, most memorable Doctor Who. Or responsible for producing the best, most memorable Doctor Who. And... Now he's reduced to this, and it's 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 a fall from grace. It's really a fall from grace for everyone involved, minus Colin Baker. Um, just amazing, really amazing. So yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about the trial because uh, we, <laughs> for all this discussion, we haven't really. Um, overall thoughts on the trial. I mean, I have my own, uh, but I'll let you go first on the season as a whole and uh, what you think of how they did it. Um, I mean, I I think it's. It's impressive for the era because they hadn't really done anything like this before, like a season long. Well, that's not true. They did the key to the time, but 
I mean, that was that a joke. Count. That was a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was that was writing the same episode over and over and over again. Um, uh, so uh, it just it's it's interesting, but it's not well done because it wasn't. They didn't have enough time to think it out properly. Uh, so they had, they were just like, just think of, just think of a story. And like, so Mm -hmm. the people would write a story and then they'd write the trial stuff around it and try and figure out how the story would correlate with the trial somehow. And it didn't work. Ultimately, none of those stories had like held much merit as far as the trial, either in defense or in prosecution. Yeah. Um, It's just an excuse for time lords to watch television. Yeah. Which, Um, which is, which is a huge problem. I think it is. It is. I think my thing when I come down to it, um, my my biggest issue is that there is some damning evidence that goes up against the doctor. For example, like one of the reasons I love the death of Perry is because it's a huge blow to the doctor in a dark moment of his life where he's on trial and he's responsible, very responsible for what happened because he got careless. Um, But then they completely undercut that by saying, oh, by the way, the Valiard completely doctored that. And that's not actually real. Um, And undercutting all of those moments is 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 really what does it for me by letting the valiard and the time lords doctor the d- information that happens it really just cheapens everything that goes on afterwards um so it doesn't like that doesn't work for me i still have a lot of fun with it um but it's it, if they had done it today i mean it would have been so much stronger yeah. like and to put the doctor for reels on trial and to really have the Valiard stack some evidence against him. Like why the Valiard needs to doctor it is, is preposterous. Why he needs, to, why he chooses the first story is ridiculous because he doesn't prove anything with the first story. Um, there's far better stories to pick. Like you could just pick caves and just say, <laughs> you, you caused a lot of havoc in that story without really trying. Um, it's, it's just, it's just, they, they could have done it better. They, picking stronger writers, uh, stronger script editing. It's just, they, they, it could have been better. And it's, I wouldn't say it's a wasted opportunity. Um, but I would say that it's, they could have done it better. Mm-hmm. Um, if they just fixed it a little bit. Uh, so yeah. Well, not just a little bit. I think it needed a lot of work, <laughs> but. But a great grace note for Robert Holmes. I mean, I really believe that. Um, yeah. And he went out writing two really strong stories, um, or at least a, a strong story and then an amazing episode Yeah, that really stands alone. Like, you could probably just go and watch it right now and love it. Um, it has a great speech by Colin Baker in the middle where he says, um, in, all the, in all of my lives and travels, I've never seen such corruption and greed. I should have stayed. Daleks and Cybermen are stupid. Daleks and Cybermen are ants compared to us. We are horrible. Like, it's such a gorgeous speech that he gives in the in the middle of part one um where he just yells at the time lords nonstop. it's pretty great um but yeah at least it gave us that and um it saw the complete collapse of doctor who uh <laughs> so yep so that um but yeah that's uh that's child of time lord that's colin baker um thank god for our big finish uh thank god for big finish yeah yeah. yeah, I'm in the I'm I I'm in the middle of uh, of uh, not what is it? What am I in the middle of? Project Lazarus. Oh God! I'm in the middle of Project Lazarus. The, that ending episode two is so dark. Yep. <laughs> it's like it just just listening to Evelyn crying on her bed at the yep. end is crushing. Ugh. he's so good. 
He's really good. Arrangements for War is your next Colin Baker, I think, and he is just... Like, mm-hmm. that story, the ending, just makes me just want to cry because it's so... every Like, if you think that Colin Baker's Doctor can't be empathetic or heartfelt or um, just caring... That's the episode that proves to you that he is not, he is none of those, like, he's all of those things, um, that he can do all of those things and do them breathtakingly well. So, thank God for Big Finish. <laughs> Definitely. If you want, if you want good Colin Baker and you're listening, uh, anything with Evelyn is pretty solid. Not the most recent stuff that just came out, but like early Colin Baker Evelyn is drop dead gorgeous mm-hmm. um so check that stuff out it's really and uh, jubilee may very well be the best dalek story i've ever experienced oh god i forgot you got to jubilee holy crap jubilee know, is right? so good it's twisted yeah twisted robert shearman is crazy um if if you want to hear daleks uh sing <laughs> <laughs> we are the daleks yeah this is our song <laughs> That story oh, is man. amazing. That sto- Jubilee yeah, Do- is amazing. And Doctor Who and the Pirates. Doctor oh. and the Who, uh, Doctor Who and the Pirates. I, we'll talk about that later. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> you like Doctor you? I, I don't. You keep forgetting that you like musicals way more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. You keep forgetting that. <laughs> Um, so there was only like two songs that I liked and when they were like, well, I guess that's the end of singing. I was like, thank God. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. Uh, Um, yeah. But we can talk about Jubilee is good. Jubilee is high. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Jubilee is insane. It's so good. Um, all right. So, uh, that's, that's the doctor's companion this week. Next week we do the gunslingers, which is a first doctor story. Gunfighters, um, gunfighters, sorry. Gunfighters, sorry, gunfighters. Nitpick, nitpick. Same difference. <laughs> Only one is the title and one isn't. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so the gunfighters, and uh, we'll be talking about that uh, next week. I'm lo- really looking forward to that. Um, Can't wait. The Doctor in the Old West, that's awesome. Uh, so anyway, so that's next week, and um, – I guess I mean that's that's it. We got you know our other podcasts and everything. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com/gungadin, where I tweet stuff. Uh, you can also find me on um, uh, my alternate Twitter account, GD Commentary, where I live tweet certain things. Uh, probably doing Hannah this week, maybe I don't know. I just got to get around to watching it. Um, uh, that's also where we do Sunday Trek, where we live tweet classic Trek um, with. Shatner and Nimoy. It's just good, good times. Uh, that usually happens on Sundays, just, eh, in the evening, six, seven Pacific, nine, ten Eastern, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's fun. You can also find me in my Classic Who blog, uh, Classical Gallifrey, where I blog about Classic Who. Um, this week, uh, last week, I'm still apologizing to Cassandra for time lash. Uh, I'm sorry, Cassandra. Um, but uh, this week we're talking about the Tenth Planet, which. Um, I have some I have some very specific thoughts for, uh, and if you if you're interested in hearing those, uh, check out the site, um, and I'll be more than willing to share them with you. And that's you. that's Hartnell's. That's the very first regeneration. Yes, 
Yeah, first regeneration for Cyberman story. Um, so yeah. my thoughts on those. Also, I'm going to share right now because we're getting towards the end of the year and we just made it out of a month-long trial of a Time Lord. I'm just going to share with what, what else is coming up for the rest of the year because um, I made a list. Um, so uh, it looks like for the rest of the year we're doing the Gunfighters next week. Um, the week after we're going to be doing uh, Tenants, the next Doctor. Uh, then we're going to be doing McCoy's Delta in the Bannerman, which I have not seen yet. Uh, but I think I'm watching sometime soonish, maybe. Um, then we're going to be doing Chris Eccleston's The Long Game, uh, Hartnell's The Aztecs, more Peter Davison with Kinda. Uh, then we're going to be talking about the Christmas special. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about uh, John Pertwee's uh, The Time Warrior, which is the first Centauran story, which is also Robert Holmes. Um, hopefully that lasts as well as I think it's going to. Uh, we'll see. Hooray! So. Woo! Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you can find me. I'm, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash Scott Corelli, twitter.com slash Scott Commentary, where I live tweet things. I attempted to live tweet Monsters and House of the Devil yesterday, neither of which worked out because I was too enraptured by both of them. Um, <laughs> that I just couldn't tweet anything. I had nothing to say. <laughs> uh, if they would let me, if they would let me live tweet from the theater, I would live tweet Ghostbusters, which I'm going to on Halloween. Um, but, uh, they won't let me live tweet in a theater, so there you go. Yeah, you're gonna love that. Um, I know, I can't wait. So anyway, that's 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 all stuff that happens. Um, also, movie night at Geek Show. Uh, we're wrapping that show up. It's only got eighty episodes left. Um, last week we did Poltergeist, uh, so check that out if you like that one. Um, but November we're going to be doing four uh, Hitchcock films. Um, so we're going to be doing uh, Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window, and North by Northwest. Uh, so that's going to be a phenomenal month. And then December is our final month in which we're going to be doing uh, Hot Fuzz, uh, a Robert Rodriguez film called Road Racers, um, The Godfather, and The Breakfast Club will be our final episode. Um, because uh, other than this show, this show is going to remain a geek show. Uh, but all of our uh, like we're 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 leaving. Other than that, um, mm-hmm. so and we'll give you details about where we're going and what's going on and things like that soon. Um, but that's not going to affect the show at all. So, um, you know, just know that we're going to be plugging other stuff very soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's it. And um, there you go. So uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week with the uh, the gunfighters. Woo! Bye. Bye, guys.